1: to homeschool your way. I'm your host, Jana Cook, and Bookshark's community manager. Today's episode is part two of Media Literacy with Nate Norlander from The Nomadic Professor. We're going to jump right into Nate's metaphor of the iceberg in navigating media literacy.
0: Uh, But underneath the surface of all of that, we have so much going on that uh, we are unaware of that is acting on the stories that make it to the top in ways we should be aware of if we are going to be fully literate and not just kind of, you know, dog paddling to, to stay on the surface of of, of um, misinformation and disinformation and being misled. Um, all right, so I'm gonna switch metaphors. So on the one hand, you know, you can think of it like an iceberg on the top, you've got these kind of tips and tricks. There's a lot of fundamental stuff going on that you need to understand for those tips and tricks to be more than just band-aids now if we switch metaphors to imagine a that you are looking far away at something through a, a, um, a set of binoculars or a telescope when you're looking through a lens like that you can see a very small piece of what's out there and you can see it blown up right and that's great for its purpose but what you can't see is everything going on around that zoomed in image. So if I'm looking at a bird or a a mountain or whatever, I can see all the beautiful parts close up and that's what these, these skills like lateral reading and corroboration are. They're kind of a really zoomed in look very close to the surface but there's a lot of stuff going on around outside of that zoomed in look that we should pay attention to. So intermediate literacy course, I'm going to ask the students to take off the binoculars or, or the instructors, the, the parents to take off the binoculars. Let's look at the whole picture. And we will kind of like an onion take off layers until we get back to the, the tips and tricks that help us navigate. But until we understand the rest, those really are just, um, Band-Aids or things that help us uh, stay afloat. So I would argue there are, let me just tell you to to keep it sort of concrete. We divide our course into five units. First one is called fundamentals. Um, The second one is called history. Third is uh, politics. Fourth is language. And the fifth is tools. And the fifth is the stuff I just mentioned, like corroboration, lateral reading. Got a lot of stuff before that so in fundamentals we're going to talk about technology design for example um the like button um uh, the incentives for companies to get eyeballs and attention right the attention economy all of these are related to the story you're reading on some foreign policy event or some domestic economic question uh because as you said, the story that reaches your eyeballs is the story that has met all this preceding criteria, not necessarily the story that um, is best serving you as a consumer of information. So technology design is very important. Um, I argue that technology, this is a little more abstract, so I'm not going to go deeply into it, but technology as a fundamental thing is important because we tend to think that we are using technologies to get what we want. But in fact, we're being shaped by the tools we use, whether it's our phone or uh, the internet or our vehicles, they shape our our expectations, our values, the things we find important. So it's kind of a relationship we have with our technologies and they change us in important ways. So I think that's important to understand. I think psychology is important to understand the ways that um, we tend to discount what other people believe if it contradicts our prior biases or intuitions, the way we tend to trust our intuitions very fast without really getting under the surface of them. And instead, we if we have an intuition, we look for evidence that confirms it, evidence that supports it rather than disconfirming evidence that might help us come to a better conclusion. So all of this is kind of in the fundamentals box. When I read a story that is in the headlines today, say it's on the war in Ukraine, I should understand sort of in the background, some of these things that are going on. I found it on the internet that is related to technology design. Um, and... It is, it's generating a lot of controversy Um, and there's a, it's very partisan. So you have a a left reaction and a right reaction that's related to the way our intuitions seek to, you know, they look for congratulations more than they look for contradictions. And so that kind of bias that's built into um, the impact these stories have is important to understand. Um, now, the second bit, and I, I'll I'll try to speed through these so I'm not talking for an hour and interrupt me if, if there are questions you want to get into, but the second unit is on history. So I would suggest it's important to kind of understand the history of information technology, the history of social media, so we can watch as um, social media and its goals and incentives evolve, say, from the... 90s to now right that's a very shallow history or we can look at the history of um, politics in america so we'd go all the way back to the 1700s to now and we would look at the left and the right and the center and how these have evolved and changed and how the teams have reoriented and their policy goals and objectives have evolved over time and morphed and even come to be exactly the opposite of what they used to be so we want to understand partisanship, political bias, and the history of our technologies and politics. So that would be units two and three. Um, and I think that's important because if we're going to tell a student, look, you got to understand bias. They're looking at such a narrow slice of what that means if they don't understand left, right, liberal, conservative, progressive, Um you know, Democrats and Republicans, if they don't have a, a sort of broader framework for making sense of partisan means this, the left is reacting in this way because they have these sort of tendencies or values and the right this way, the way to understand bias is is to have a deeper understanding of what motivates a person's reasoning. So if they can get a sense for the politics that is deeper than just oh that's what republicans like and that's what democrats like that's just it's too black and white it's too shallow we want to get a little deeper um now so we're let me stop you
1: there for just a second do you think that most people would be surprised that having an understanding of political history is important for media literacy in 2023
0: i don't know if they'd be surprised but i don't know if, if it would be the first approach that would come to mind. Um, because I think when we think media literacy, we really do think of the immediate actions to be taken. I want to find a website that aggregates all the news and helps me uh, figure out which stories to pay attention to. And those are valuable. I'm not saying there's no place for them. I want to read laterally. I want to corroborate. When We think of media literacy. We really do think of um, kind of these skills and shortcuts to figuring out what is good information, what is bad information. Um, But if we're looking at it in a a zoomed out way, in a more fundamental way, these... So we're building our media literacy course in in, um, collaboration with a group called Brown News. And they are an aggregator that brings together all the headlines on a given story in one place and rates the institutions based on their political bias. That's an incredibly valuable service that acts as a shortcut to getting to the bottom of any given story. But it's not that useful if a student can't go to the website and have a a well of understanding about what is political bias and where does it come from, right? So...
1: And would you say that that is applicable throughout the world? Like I know we're specifically talking about like the United States and a lot of things that you've mentioned. Um, just our our politics, right? We're we're Americans, and so that makes sense for us. And we're we're kind of you know ethnos or uh, what's that word? Um, not ethnocentric, but I guess it could be or we just kind of pay attention to our nation and obviously we're the ones that do it right. And nobody else does it any other better way. But would you say that applies globally as well? That like, if you're looking at countries that have free, free media, right. Mm-hmm. Not, not state ran or um. you know, there's so many countries that don't have what we have. Is it applicable to countries that are similar set up as ours and the freedoms that they have that, that, their students would also need to understand the politics behind it, or is that more centralized to our country or or the countries that we deal with typically in our headlines?
0: So I'm, I am I will offer a disclaimer first that I'm not a, an expert globally. I, I would say based on my impressions that broadly speaking in what we know as the West, um, this is a universal story, like a kind of there's a there's a kind of populism and partisanship that is seems to be more um, seems to be stronger more accentuated than it has been in the past. So I think the political aspect is um, not unique to the United States. Obviously, there are nuances to American history that don't exist in Europe or somewhere else. But I think broadly speaking, the sort of partisan divide and its importance for understanding today's media is a universal story um but i would also say regardless of where you are the tendency to think along tribal lines and and so here we're not just talking politics it could be anything it could be ethnicity language uh religion uh uh class you know economic status like there are lots of ways in which we think in the same ways as our groups. And so that might be a more fundamental version of partisanship is just, we are people who, whose psychologies cling to people like them, right? And people on their team and on their side and their family. And so I think that's the universal story as well, whether it's politically oriented or oriented along some other line, the tendency to, uh, confirm your biases based on the tribe or group you belong to is a, is a very old story.
1: Applies to all humans, n- n- yeah, regardless sure. of the situation. Yeah. Hey guys, it's Jana with a big tip. Would you like to try out the book shark way of learning at zero cost? Well, you can with our free unit studies to add to our collection. We now have a two week literature-based study on sharks. Yes, sharks. Perfect, right? Visit bookshark.com slash freebies to get your sharks unit study. The book we chose for this unit is amazing. Your kids are going to love it because it's filled with great photographs of different types of sharks, cool diagrams, and so many fascinating facts. For example, did you know that sharks never blink their eyes? Did you know that sharks have pores called ampouli of Lorenzini that allow them to detect electricity? Did you know that a thresher shark stuns its prey by smacking it with its long tail? If you're a Kindle Unlimited user, there's great news. The book we use for this unit study is free on Kindle Unlimited. Otherwise, purchase a copy or borrow it from your library. Visit bookshark.com slash freebies to get your free Sharks unit study today.
0: So there are two more units in the media literacy course. Do you want me to jump into those? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So the fourth one I call language. This is where we do things um, that help us understand arguments. So like I said, if you go to ground news, it will give you, you know, here are the 30 outlets that are covering this story. Here are their political biases. And that is a very nice shortcut to making sense of the headlines. But it's a it's best used by people who already have a mature understanding of the media and of how to read and break down arguments. Because a, a 15-year-old who comes to that site and decides, okay, these are the three outlets I'm going to pay attention to. Here's this the story they still have to now read and comprehend the story. They have to make sense of the argument and decide whether you know, one bit of evidence is convincing or one bit is not convincing. They have to make sense of, does the fact that it was presented in this context versus this context impact the way I read it? So in this unit, we're gonna get into logic and rhetoric, You know how to break down arguments, how to make judgments about whether premises align with conclusions arguments are valid, um, rhetorical strategies are manipulating us or just elevating the speech of the, the person you know writing or speaking. Um, We're going to get into word choice and tone and the way these have implications for what a writer or speaker is trying to say. It, it's going to help us read between the lines and tease out nuances that aren't explicitly stated so the unit on language, we're really trying to say, okay, we've got some background here. We know about politics, technology design. We know some of the fundamentals. Now, when you're actually in a story, how do you make sense of it? How do you, how do you judge the argument of a given author uh, or institution? So we're going to work with language until a student can break down a story um, into its component parts, can analyze language in a way that is convincing and useful, and will will serve them well when they have to you know decide who to vote for or what toothbrush to buy or you know there there are all kinds of ways in which this is practical for every person everywhere in society uh and then the fifth one is tools so this is where we're going to get to um the some of the stuff we've talked about already. Um, Lateral reading, we're going to open a new tab and find out about the institution we're reading from before we just dive in and start believing based on superficial indicators like the URL or the lack of typos or the professionalism of the site and all that. We're going to get back to the original source. And as opposed to, you know, it's funny, you can read a story online that without knowing it is really just a third hand report that doesn't have anything original in it. So you might find a, a site that has reported what was reported in this site and that site just reported what was reported in this site, which reported what was reported in this site. And then it, you know, obviously the, the obvious, um, analogy there is the game of telephone. One person
1: described every college paper I ever wrote.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wait, meaning you didn't do good research? You, uh, you I, don't I don't know. I don't know.
1: I put those things together pretty quick, but I, I, as saying it like that, I was like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> that is kind of funny when you think like that. If it's not presented that way, you're like, oh wait, I guess right. that is just my opinion on someone else's opinion, and nobody actually got the original story to begin right. with.
0: It, it is funny, and in, in the end, it could be a story that just blows up in the media is a story that blew up in the media because one person reported on it and they may be a good journalist they may be a mediocre journalist they may be a dishonest journalist we don't know but the next outlet that sees it doesn't want to take the time to investigate it because then they're going to lose the scoop they're going to lose the eyeballs so they report it with the disclaimer that this is being reported by this institution so our hands are clean if it turns out to be false and then the next institution does the same thing, and you you end up with a kind of mushrooming of reportage or, or or journalism that was only done once and hasn't been corroborated yet, but now you have this international story, right? And and you know, obviously not every story is this exaggerated. I, I'm speaking to the extremes, but that's the kind of tendency. So in this um, final unit, we're gonna we're gonna hit some of these skills, these tips and tricks. How do you navigate the internet? How do you do searches on Google? Um, How do you find where information came from and make judgments about the reliability and credibility of that source or that author or that institution? Um, And so I feel like those skills are best learned when they're coming on top of a foundation of a really strong understanding of what's going on beneath the surface of all of this reportage from technology design to psychology, to partisanship, to, you know, American politics, etc. Now you're ready to say, okay, I'm going to open a new tab and I'm going to find out about this institution and decide if it's worth reading because you have some background to arm you with the ability to do that. But prior to that, I really, not that it's a bad thing to learn, in isolation, But I think our students and our teachers and parents will be better served if those skills are learned on top of the fundamentals.
1: So I'm excited to see this course. When can we expect it to be available for purchase?
0: So that depends on when you are willing to make the purchase. We have our fundamentals unit is published now. Okay. Um, and available for purchase now. Any any purchases now will obviously get the rest of the content as it's released. Mm-hmm. Um, the, we're putting out a new session about every three to five weeks. So there are maybe eight to 10 sessions available now. There will be about 30 by the time the course is complete. And Thank we'll you. just roll them out until the course is complete. If you want to take it along with us, then you can take it at our pace. If you want to wait till it's done, it probably will be, you know, next summer before it's totally completed. Um, But we're working through jumping now into our unit on history from our unit on the fundamentals.
1: Well, Nate, I appreciate the work that you and the professor are doing, not only um, the amazing videos that are on location, but also the idea of helping parents want to educate their children on how to properly uh, just walk alongside media in, in a world where we are just inundated with stories. And like you said, there we couldn't possibly take it all in. But I think as homeschool parents, we are really trying to make sure that our children are armed, if, whether they choose to go to college or not, to be, like I said, contributing members of society who aren't so apt for the clickbait, but have more critical uh, skills to say, okay, wait, there, there's a deeper question here. Are there something else that I can, I can look at instead of just sensationalizing? I do kind of feel like, remember when we were kids, they had like the Star Magazine and the Inquirer. And I don't even know if that stuff is still around because I kind of feel like sometimes like, the just main media has become some of that. Yeah. It is like that used to be like the junk stuff that you read for entertainment. And sometimes I read these articles that come up in my feed and I'm like, I didn't I didn't sign up for this inquire yeah. today.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. The mainstream outlets are so hyper partisan that they've become versions of the tabloids. They might be reporting on more sophisticated stories like about Biden or Trump or, you know, this or that happening abroad. Um, so they're not talking about you know UFOs landing in your backyard or uh, Well, I don't know <laughs> Alien abduct well, that's true bad bad example. they're not talking about alien abductions necessarily or um, you know some fringe extreme claim that was kind of humorous before, but they're doing a similar version of that kind of um sensationalism um mm. so it that is a good observation and I, Personally, um, I don't think I have any mainstream, I mean, I think it's important to pay attention to kind of some mainstream conversation so you're not totally out of touch and, and you you get a sense for the way the culture is trending. But as far as reliable sources of news, I personally avoid most of what you would consider mainstream because they're captured by their audience or their incentives or their um, you know, need for attention or, or whatever it is, it could be honest or dishonest, but if it's been captured one way or another, I want to find somebody who's doing journalism, not entertainment.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a really good distinction. I do feel like we've gotten into, um, a trend where we just want to be entertained 24 seven. And so now to have, you know like pick up a book and actually ask questions and say, well, what do I think about that? Or how does that apply to me? I think those are some of the things, especially at Bookshark, using literature-based um, curriculum the way we build it is so that we can keep that um, alive in today's society. And, and I know we're not the only ones. And so we're, we're excited to see that there is more and more people who are putting down the phone or getting off social media or starting to think a little bit more critically about the things that are just pumped to us 24-7. So before we go, do you have a life hack or homeschool hack or educational hack that you can share with our listeners?
0: I do. Um, briefly, I wanted to follow up because your your last um, the last thing you said was so relevant. There's a book we cover in media literacy called um, Amusing Ourselves to Death. By an author named neil postman that is just so good at um uh, making critical distinctions between news and entertainment and our tendency to uh believe they're the same thing uh the hack i would offer is um i i don't know if you'd call this a hack you tell me I would always be asking the question and training my students to ask the question, whether they're four years old or 24 years old, where did the information come from? It's a question that should be front and center in the minds of uh, students and parents alike. Where did the information come from? And that is at least a kind of first blush defense against your instinct to either confirm your own biases or reject evidence that doesn't feel good? um, Where did it come from? And that can kind of lead you down the path of asking other important questions about whether it's information you should consume, reject, consume with reservations, etc. It's a very good first blush question to ask. And ultimately, what we're trying to do is not necessarily train our kids with Here are the five things you always need to do, and then you'll be protected. It's more like an orientation toward our media environment. How should we be oriented? And if they're oriented with always starting with where did it come from, I think they'll be better able to manage what they encounter that we can't foresee on their own.
1: Well, I think that is a wonderful hack and I will, um going to start saying it in my house. So my children see you at a convention and they're <laughs> they say, thanks, Nate, because my mom asks us every time we say anything, where did that information come from? And I so, will feel
0: like they're patting me on the back. So I will take yeah. it.
1: Yes. Well. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for coming on today. I know our audience, that was a lot of information. It is um, important for us to, you know, at least start thinking about these things. And so we will put all of your links and the Nomadic Professors links in the show notes so that people can learn more about what you guys are doing and what you're putting out there and then specifically about the um, course that we just talked about today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys. Until next time. Bye-bye. For those of you who listen to the very end, the Nomadic Professor has some promotions for just for the podcast listeners. The first listener to use the code Nomadic Shark Sub, S-U-B, will receive 75% off the life of a subscription for the Nomadic Professor. The second offer is for the first listener who uses the coupon code Nomadic Shark Perch, P-U-R-C-H, will receive 75% off all products in the cart. All other listeners can use the promotion code Sedendary Shark Sub or Sedendary Shark Perch to receive 20% off the life of a subscription or all purchases in the cart. Thanks to the Nomadic Professor for giving our listeners some great incentives.